my desire has always been um, my mission statement, which the mission statement is that um, all the earth is cram crammed with heaven, every bush aflame with the fire of God, but only those that see take off their shoes, the rest just pick the berries. So mine has been about seeing God and walking in that place. And I think that's your desire, you wouldn't be here still. We may not know what that means, but yet we know that something's calling us. And so I'm going to lean on the Holy Spirit this morning, not that I don't other times, but lean on the Holy Spirit to um, break this open for me so that we might receive something of joy. Um, there's been at least a couple of times in my life, at least two, maybe three, where the Spirit of the Lord has come to me and offered me something that I wasn't ready to receive. And when he did, um, he was only there a few moments and then he left. And when he was there, I wanted so badly something, but I was still in a horse and buggy. So I perceived everything through that perception and grid I had. It's not wrong. She sees everything from her perspective. You can't expect her to see things differently. So even my ability to receive something at the time, my inability to receive something at the time, was because of my mentality of where I was. God knew that. My fear is that when he left, and these were sovereign moments, when he left, my fear is that he wouldn't come back for 10 years, maybe longer. Maybe he'd never come back with that. And it wasn't that I wasn't a Christian, it wasn't that I wasn't enjoying God, it's that something he was offering me. And it would leave and I would be like, oh my God. My God, I've blown it, blown it. Years would pass, and then he'd come again. Now, this has only happened a couple of times, maybe three. I can't even pull it together. I know at least two. <clears throat> but I'm starting to see it in a different light. At one time, it was all or nothing, as if I was losing something. But what it was, was my ability to receive what it was he wanted to do. It's perception of what he was doing. He was really seeing where I was in it all. And so I'm going to help, and I know some of this isn't making sense at the moment, but that's okay. I want you to see something that the enemy has prepared us to believe something that stops us from getting something because we feel like something's being taken away. In fact, 
the, the real truth is, is um, what we think. It, it, it's like God surrounds himself with a black in darkness. You've read that, right? He's a black cloud around him. Most people can't get through the cloud. They see the black cloud. The Israelites are in Exodus 19 going, hey, I'm not going up the mountain, man. <laughs> we'll stay here, Moses, you go. Did you know that a lot of people are like that today still? They still want either the Pope, Billy Graham, Benny Hinn, whoever they think is the man of the hour to go up the mountain. They don't want to go because of the black cloud. You go lest we die. But the truth is, ecstasy is on the other side of the cloud. What is the black cloud, do you think? It was the black cloud that I was seeing when he came to me. Once in a cottage at three in the morning when Susan's asleep and the children are asleep in the other room, the black cloud comes. And I can't go through it. I can't go through it because of my perception of what the black cloud was. I knew God was good. I drank liquid honey, the love of liquid love, I mean, that was like honey, I knew. But yet, there's something in me. There was something in me that wouldn't allow me to go through. That's something in you this morning as I, or this afternoon as I share this. Don't allow it to stop you from hearing what I'm going to say. Because there's something in this that takes us to freedom. There's something in this that takes us into the ecstasy of God. There was a thing on TV the other night where there's this little girl playing a part in a show and she was playing the part of some mystic in the past and she was saying, she, call it, she called it that, that people could not come near her. This, this, this woman who was a saint, no, it was a man, I think. Man that was a saint because of, an, and this was the word, violent ecstasies violent ecstasies I just my ears just went whoa now yeah what does that mean God is good Jesus knew about the violent ecstasies he still does so I base this in John chapter 14, I'm going to go through some scriptures today. If you want to write them down, write them down. You may need to look at them later, but I'll move through some of them quicker because I want to lay a foundation in the scripture for something. We're going to break this down. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, didn't he? There's no one, or, or there is no one comes to the Father but through me. Some of this is milk. I'm going to start in the milk and cream, okay? There's no way to the, but, to the Father but through me. That means, <clears throat> I don't care if you're the best person on the face of the earth and give all the money to the poor. I don't care if you are spiritual. I don't care um, if you've got thousands of years of history behind you. The reality is, that you cannot go to the creator of the universe, to the Father. You cannot enter into eternal life. You cannot come here except you go through Jesus Christ. That's clear there. Secondly, he says on the way, the truth, and the life. There's an interesting reality here. He speaks 
um, three things. Do you notice how many times throughout Scripture there's threes? There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's me, body, soul, and spirit. There's these three witnesses that are in the earth. It says the three witnesses are water, blood, and spirit. Three. There are threes all over the Bible. Electricity. Electrons, protons, and neutrons. Three. Not four, not five, not two, not one. Three. The scripture is mystery. There are things hidden in the scripture for those that would seek them out and understand them. They're there. Three speaks of government. There's a revelation about power and authority in government in the number three. The temple, outer court, holy place, holy of holies. Three. Inside the holy place, showbread, lampstand, altar of incense. Three. Even the devil himself uses three. Doesn't he? There's the there's Satan, the false prophet, and the Antichrist. Three. He builds his structures on it. He knows there's something there about this. The way. John 10, 7, Jesus says to them, I'm the door of the sheep. John 10, 1. I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep climbs up some other way. He's a thief and a robber. John 10, 10 tells us that um, the enemies come to steal, kill, and destroy. He's a robber. He's a thief and a robber. He can't, you can't get in except through a gate, through a door. Jesus said, I'm the door that'll bring you in. This is still milk. This door that he's talking about is, is an incredible revelation. It's progressive light. Do you realize that? Salvation through the cross, right? And the revelation shining from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is progressive light. It's glory to glory to glory. God will take us from glory to glory to glory. Revelation. We've been working on that revelation probably and it's extremely deep. But we've been walking and working on this for about two years. At least two years, maybe three now, I don't know. It's been working on it for me for a while. Moving beyond what we would call um, the first stages of salvation and what that means. It's important because unless you get it, the revelation of what it is, you stay bound as if you never got it. It's not enough to see something. You have to partake of it. If I see something but I don't eat it, do I really know anything about it? I can talk about a, a, a bowl of raspberries all day long. But unless I eat the raspberries... 
I won't know what the taste or the flavor or anything about them. So a lot of people talk about God, they talk about Calvary, but they've never ever really tasted what it means. Right? Okay, progressive light. Romans 6, I'm just going to touch on this for a moment and we'll move on. Romans 6, 3 to 5 says, Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death? Talking about you and me. Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we also should walk in the likeness of his resurrection. So, Romans 6 tells you, if you're born again, you died. The devil would like to tell you, you haven't. The devil would say to you, you've been given a second chance to do it better. It was forgiveness. That's all it was, forgiveness. God said, I feel bad. You messed up. I'm going to die. Forgive you. Now go and do it right. It's not the gospel. That is a doctrine of demons. That has nothing to do with Calvary at all. Calvary says this. I died and I'm walking now in the resurrection life of Christ. So if the devil comes to me to talk to me about my sin and the things of my past, the truth is that man died. So what are we discussing? That's why we go into the courts and bring the accuser in because he's accusing a guy that doesn't exist. And he's the guy that needs judge, the accuser. Doesn't he? Again, you've got to get these things solid. This is milk. All this is is milk. You've got to get these things solid in your life if you're to move on. We call this the foundation of the gospel, the foundation of the house. You need a foundation or you can't go forward. You can't build a house on air or sand. It must be built on a foundation. So get your foundation right. You've got to get the foundation right. Romans 6 tells you there was a death and resurrection and it was yours. Does it not? Okay, so if it did, you must embrace that. Got to eat the, cher- eat the raspberries. You've got to buy into it and understand it or you won't go forward in this. You'll spend all your life right there um, accepting or rejecting that truth. Then in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Paul gives us a glimpse. He says, if, uh, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the in one, he's a new creature or a new creation. The old things passed away, new things have come. So this whole process took place where the, Jesus was the firstborn, another scripture says in Corinthians, I believe, that he's the firstborn of a new creation. He's a new creation man. So God started a whole new creation. People. Put your hand on your head and rebuke the deaf and dumb spirit. Seriously. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come against any deaf and dumb spirits right now. 
anything that would want to stop us from opening up to what your Holy Spirit wants to say and Lord removing and keeping us bound in the things of yesterday in what we've understood I rebuke that in Jesus name right now and I release the angelic realm and the spirit of the Lord to teach us amen there's this whole process right there Christ is a new you're gonna you have to get the foundation I'm just firming up the foundation right now Christ is and you've heard me for two years break this from many different directions Christ is a new creation man therefore a new creation was birthed if he's new so so Calvary was in fact the creator putting to death an old creation and birthing a brand new one now either you're in or you're out right and you have to settle it or you can't go forward if you don't settle it you'll never understand what I'm about to say Christ is the door to a new realm we're still in an old one in our minds trying to get God to come and help us to be like him or be in his world when he's already done it he already did it let me say it again he already did it I'm the door to the sheep lay another spot he says my my sheep know my voice excuse my voice so when he says I'm the way he's saying that I opened a door I'm the gate I'm the 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 very door into a new world a new place in God a brand new creation John 8 32 says and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free you see that make you free truth again is progressive light from glory to glory now let's look at what Jesus said in John 16 he goes when he the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all the truth and he will not speak on his own initiative but whatever he hears he'll speak and he will disclose to you what what is to come so the Holy Spirit how many have the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth where is he in you now he wants to take you on a journey into all truth he make you free so first of all you gotta recognize his purpose of truth is what to make you free no whether you're you're afraid that he wants to enslave you because you will but the fact of the matter is either Jesus is a liar or he tells the truth and if he tells the truth then he says the purpose is your freedom you're gonna have to believe me and trust me as we go through the black cloud he says if you could do that 
then you will be able to walk into the freedom that I've purchased for you, which is to live out of the new creation man, the resurrection life. 1 Corinthians 2, 6. And this is Paul speaking to the, the people of that day in Corinth. He goes to this, he goes, We do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age. Nor of the rulers of this age. None of the teachers are speaking this to you, he's saying. This age is passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit, remember the Spirit of truth, the Spirit who searches all things, even the very depths of God. So he's saying to us, this Spirit of truth that I'm going to give you is going to lead you into the mysteries of God. The very revelation that's in the heart of God the Father. But, he goes, at that time, you're not going to get it from natural understanding and even those that are teachers in your life right now. Why, Paul? 1 Corinthians 13. Love never fails. But if if there are gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away with. If there are tongues, they'll cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away with. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, okay, the perfect is going to come. Do you see this? When the perfect comes, not if, when. The partial will be done away with. There's a purpose for the partial. When I was a child, Paul said, I used to speak like a child. Think like a child, reason like a child. But when I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now I see in a mirror dimly. But then, when? When the perfect comes. This isn't when you die. When the perfect comes, what? Face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as also I've been known. But now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. So our ultimate place that we're going is a place in, a, in a, an experience and a uh, um, dimension or atmosphere of love. That's where we're going. I'll have no need for, somebody to, for me to speak in tongues when I'm speaking like Moses face-to-face with God. I have no need for the spirit of knowledge because I will have knowledge of, the, of God in me. I will need to go to you to ask you what you think about what the Lord's saying because he'll be speaking to me. Right? That's where God wants to take us. The perfect. We see in a mirror dimly now and the dim thing that you see is you. You look in the mirror and you see dimly yourself because you don't know who you are. You think you are what you do. It's not what you do, it's who you are. It's always been about who you are, not what you do. 
You see, everything around us is about what we do. Our gifts, that's what all those, all those gifts were all about, what you do. You gain recognition by what you do, right? I'm a doctor. That's what you do, man. Who are you? Oh, I'm a, I'm a special speaker that has a gift for healing in the church. No, that's what you do. That's a gift, man. It's all going to pass away. It doesn't mean anything. Who are you? What are you? That's what matters before God. That's what Paul's talking about, a maturity that goes beyond. There's a purpose in the gifts. When you're building a house and putting a foundation up, what do they do? They build a form. They pour the concrete in the form till the form gets made solid. Then what do they do? Hopefully take the form away. So the form is the childish things. They're all good. We need the form while the foundation's being poured. But eventually when the foundation gets poured, to leave the form there is kind of, could you imagine driving down a street and all you see is houses with wooden, old, ugly forms around the foundation? And you'd go to them and you'd say, like, you know, why, why do you leave the form, man? Well, it's, it's what it's all about, man. It's holding my house up. Really? Really, you don't really need it anymore. The concrete that was poured in was, the, was what was holding the house, not the form. So it's God that's in you. Not speaking in tongues, not prophecy, not being able to lay hands on the sick. It's God in you. When the perfect comes, he says, the perfect's coming. It's coming to you. It's been coming to you since Calvary. But God builds the foundation. He puts the form in. The form's good. We need the form. Trust me. I look around the church and everywhere and there's forms. What are they there for? It's because they're still drinking milk. They're still in the milk. John 15. One of the most powerful uh, parts of Scripture of, of breaking paradigm in my life and starting me on a journey I didn't know where I was going. And so I throw it in here because it's so important to understanding this that I'm going to tell you. I am the true vine. You've heard this probably many times, but don't shut down. And my father's the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, what's he do with it? Takes it away, and every branch that bears fruits, he prunes it so it'll bear more fruit. If there's pruning that's went on you in your life, it's because you're of God. It's all important. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. You see, it's the word of God that cleanses and transforms us. But then he says to us, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branch. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. For listen to this. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I'm going to go on. There's a deep truth here you need to see. Because people do a lot of things for the vine, 
but they have no idea what he's talking about. You can talk all day about it, but the reality is the experience of what that means to be in Christ. In Christ. And also means there will be fruit of that. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch that dries up. They gather them, cast them in the fire, and they're burned. That in enough should drive us all to want to know what it means to be in Christ. Right? Because I don't know about you, I don't want to be just thrown into the fire of whatever that means and consumed. Because I wasn't bearing anything of Christ. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away. I think I said that. Yes. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. Now that's a massive one right there. What do you suppose you're going to ask for? Whatever he just put in you. If my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish. You see, we've got a lot of asking and it seems no fruit. So my question is, what are they asking? They're definitely not asking this, are they? You see, prayer can just be the, the, the spouting off of a selfish being trying to get something from God and then we wonder why not. And so then we establish theologies around it like times and seasons and when he comes and all this stuff. Well, is it scriptural? No. This is the bedrock of it right here. You ask what he wants because he's the life flowing through the branch. He's the life. Except for me, you, can't, you, you can do nothing. That would be the nothing that we see going on around us that should be enough that stops us right here in John 15 and goes, whoa, I know what this is. Let's return and know what it is to be in Christ. Because once we understand what it is to be in Christ, which is what I'm going to break open here a little bit, then whatever you ask will be done for you. John chapter 15, um, 1 to 11. My father is glorified by this. You want to glorify daddy? This is how you do it. That you bear much fruit. And what would the fruit be? The fruit of being in Christ. And the, not just that happens in the natural realm. That's sort of a byproduct that we get blessed by. But the fruit is of being in the vine, grafted to Christ, and these things taking place. And so this is what will prove, he says, that you're my disciples. Just as the fathers loved me, I have also loved you. 
Abide in my love, keep my commandments, and you will abide in my love. And the word commandments there really, I mean, we then get into, let's just move back to a structure, a form again, and keep rules. What he's talking about is his word. Remember, the whole thing works together. It's his word, what he speaks to you. When I command somebody, if I said I need, I need the power on, I say, Dave, turn the power on. That's like my command to Dave. He flicks the button and I got juice and now I'm talking. You see? That's a pretty simple thing. It's like, I do the command of what I need. I speak it forth to Dave. And now the, it says that if my spirit abides in you, now he hears. And what is he going to ask for? The power to come on. It's not that complicated, is it? What did Jesus do? This is exactly what he did with his life. He's just showing us the template. If you, okay. Just as I've kept my father's commandments and abided in his love, and that's where we want to go, isn't it? Into that place of love, First uh, Corinthians 13, of coming to that place where we walk ultimately in that dimension, which is the love of God, the violent ecstasies. These things I've spoken to you so that your joy may be made full and that my joy would be in you. Okay, this is the result of this. Joy. His joy in us and made full. What's full joy look like? And how do I get full joy? By abiding in the vine. By moving with the Lord. This is where full joy comes from. You see, Toronto happened and people got whacked. That was the Lord saying, hey, hey, I'm alive. People got joy. But did anybody teach how we get it and how we keep it? We thought it was by going more, Lord. But it was the Holy Spirit saying, that's correct. More of me, less of you. Less carnality, more spirit. There was a lot of stuff going on there that we were oblivious to. How do we know? Because the form's still on the house. Hebrews chapter 5. Listen to Jesus. Paul talked about Jesus. Although he was a son, Christ was a son of the Father, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. So it's saying Christ learned this reality through suffering. How does that look? Because suffering brings me to a place of wanting truth. It's when I can't do anything anymore, I'm in situations I can't solve. And so I come to a place of giving up and desiring to be obedient. It's, it sucks. I'm going to tell you, it sucks for your flesh. It really does. But the reality is, do we not want joy? Do we not want to walk into the ecstasies of God? Do we not want to know what really took place at Calvary? And the only way to get there is to understand obedience. Obedience. Jesus learned through sufferings. I got to admit, 
probably the things that have happened in my life and where I am have come through suffering. Now, I haven't had to necessarily deal with physical suffering or being beat up or left on the side of the road for debt. But I have received suffering nonetheless in some way, shape, or form in my life. But it's caused me to desire truth, to desire to know him. I had a choice. You know the old saying, you get better or you get better. Well, we can get better. We can blame God that he didn't do something right. But you really, if you read the scriptures, you can see you were really the one that didn't do something right. But we blame God because he didn't just operate because I asked him. The genie in a bottle. You ever see that when you're in cartoons? You rub the bottle and out comes the genie. Did you know that there's a, hit, there's a root to this? This is how they summon demons in Babylon. They called it a genie in a bottle. It's still used in the Masonic services today. And we kind of look at God like a genie in a bottle. That we can summon him up to do something because I ask. And yet, we have not understood if Christ himself to find the truth, to walk in the fullness, even he walked through suffering, it says. Yeah, Hebrews chapter 5, starting at verse 8. He learned obedience through the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he was made perfect. He became to all those, listen, who obey him, the source of eternal salvation. I'm the way, the truth. The source of eternal salvation. Being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Concerning him, Paul says, we're not sure Paul wrote Hebrews, by the way, so I'm not sure, but I'll use Paul for the moment. Or this saint of God. How's that? He says. Concerning Melchizedek he's talking about. We have much to say to you. But it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. You've been dumbed down. For though he says by this time you ought to be teachers. You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You will have to come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only milk is accustomed to the word of righteousness. If we want to go beyond milk, we have to become accustomed to what the word of righteousness means in order to go there. Otherwise, we have need to be taught all over again. He says, because this person's an infant. Solid food is for the mature who because of practice, their senses trained to discern good and evil. The word of righteousness. Now, 
automatically when I say that, the word of righteousness, what triggers in you? Right standing before God. But, but we've been taught about back to the cross, the foundation, that right standing before God seems to be based on what you do or don't do. He made it right. The death and resurrection, right? We've got to settle the milk, the foundation. Once you understand the elementary principles of the gospel, the milk, if you will, then you can move forward into what you desire, the greater revelation of what this is all about. We can build the house. We're gonna, we're, what we're doing is today is probably throwing up a few sticks, working on a frame. Eventually, we'll get to plumbing and heating and everything else, pull the walls in, the roof on, man, and we are going to party in the house of the Lord, right? But there's a way to get there. And he's saying here that the elementary thing is, is that to be accustomed to the word of righteousness. The word of righteousness is, I'm righteous. Right? I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I've arrived. The foundation was built. I died and was raised from the dead. I'm in Christ. I'm a new creation. Man. So the devil wants to come and talk to me about the old creation. John Brown, who was a child of Adam from the Garden of Eden. He wants to discuss with me why he shouldn't be allowed to go to heaven unless he does good things. And he even will buy into the cross but twist it so that he'll keep me bound so that I won't understand the word of righteousness. I won't come into the realization of what that means for me. Ephesians 4. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, the revelation of who Christ is, to what? A mature man, to the measure and stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Until we understand, we are all one person. Again, Paul said, you know, he, he talked about the body being parts of the body, you by a toe, I'm a finger, whatever, right? He's trying to show us all that we live in God, that we're in Christ. If we're in Christ but we move differently, we're nonetheless both in Christ. It means that we're one, right? There's no separation. We live in something that's tangibly real so that we're not really separated see separation is a deception this is where I'm talking now the horse and buggy and the jet there's no separation because somebody said this once even if you don't believe you are or oh no how's that go even if you don't um, Believe in, in God or follow God. Oh, to not believe is to believe. Because you've got to belong to something. You see? 
People can say, I don't believe in God and I don't believe in the devil. Well, I hate to break the news to you, but you do believe in the devil because you're carrying his theology. You're one in, in what he's doing and part of him right now. Right? Because you have to be somewhere, one or the other. You're in one or the other. How do we know? Jesus goes, you guys, you guys, you're of your father, the devil. No, no, we're serving God, man. No, no, no. You're of your father, the, the devil. Why do I know? Because he was a liar from the beginning, and I see it in you. I see the form in you. God knows whose are his. You, you know, just because you go to church doesn't make you part of his. Just because you say, I believe in Christ, Christ forgive me, doesn't make you part of his. How do we know? We just scaled through John 15. Right? These will be my disciples. You'll know my disciples, he said. How? Because they're obedient. Why? Because they're walking in me. You see, if we are beings, not doings, then we're receivers. And we're receiving. And then I, out of receiving... Out of receiving, I act. And a structure is built in my life, and I respond to that structure. So, either I am going to be a child of God or a child of Satan, according to who I'm responding to. I am a human being. I, I conduct Right? So even when somebody says, oh, I'm an atheist and I don't believe in God and I don't believe in the devil. Now nah, you're just fabricating one of his belief systems, man. That's all you're doing. Right? That's all it is. Hmm. So what we want to do is begin to understand. See, we're trying to get somewhere, get into something we're already in. We want to understand now how to live out of. We started to break in and out of that realm this morning. The unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, that means to have a revelation of what the Son of God actually means. What, what, what did he do? What did the, do, the word do? And what did it establish in the earth? And what have I become a part of? Until there's one man. The maturity of a man. So he's looking for his body, the body of Christ of which his life lives in, to mature to a place of knowing and being that one man. So Christ will live on the earth through his body. Right? Through all those that are his. But as long as we think that, and one of the greatest belief systems or structures the enemy's built is the belief system that we like sheep, and Isaiah it says, have all gone astray, everyone to his own way. Separation. Is that we're all, you know, that if something happens to you, it has no bearing on me. Not true. It actually does. I'm only as strong as the strongest, or sorry, the weakest part. That's why when one weeps, we weep. When one laughs, we laugh. 
because we're actually attached in the spirit. We flow as one. We don't know this. So even people can be serving God and they're running around the earth and they even move in, in gifts, but they still completely think they're an individual separate. They think that they're a Moses or an Elijah called of God. They don't understand. They're not growing up. They're still sucking on a bottle because the reality is we're one. There is none great. There's only God. He's great. Right? Yeah. Yeah, he takes ambition and flushes it. Okay. Eternal life. That was the truth. The truth of coming into this place called love, this place of oneness, this place of obedience that brings you in, understanding that. Then there's this thing that takes place, and this is powerful. I am the way, truth, and what? The life. He says, he who believes has eternal life. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. Now we think, maybe not all of you, that um, eternal life is an ex- a length of time. It's eternal, forever. But let me say something to you. God lives outside of time and space. Therefore, eternal life is not an extension of time because God's not in time. That's just a perception you have in your head. It means forever because there is no time. But eternal life is not an extension of time. I heard somebody make this statement just yesterday that kind of bent my mind. It threw me for a curve, and it was this. It said that infinity, and I don't know how how real they are, but I kind of like it. Infinity, it says that there's finite infinity and an infinity. But the reality is God is neither because he created them. He's beyond infinity. Because infinity was something that was made. So he dwells in it. But the truth is, is he it? No. Because he created it. It's like God God is not in time. Why? Because he made it, but Jesus stepped into it, but it didn't mean now he was of time. He was in it. Same thing in infinity. Infinity is a created thing. God is not, he's beyond infinity. Now our brains just went, uh, right? Because you can't go there. That's why we think eternal is an extension of time. It says, this eternal life is given us and the life is in his son. So this thing called eternal life, which is the very existence of God, the very Life of God, it's not time, I call it quality versus quantity. It's the essence of God is in Christ when he came to the earth so that he could give it to you and me so that it would be in us. No longer confined to time and space in it, but not of it. The laws of time and space 
shouldn't affect us because the reality is eternal life, the life of God, is in you and me right now. It's right there. Do not work, John says, or I think, believe it was Jesus actually, for the food which perishes. Now listen to this. But for the food which endures to eternal life. Now this is really good because there's a lot of food being fed in churches. But it's not extending or bringing you into the understanding of eternal life. That's why they said to Jesus, where are we going to go, man? You have the words of eternal life. There's something in you coming out of you that I know I need that's real. If the things that we're getting perish, they don't bear fruit, then why, he says, are you working for those things? They perish. The food which endures to eternal life, which is, he says, the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God has set a seal. He, and then Jesus says, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, raise him up on the last day may not be what we think it means, what we've been taught it means. I'm not absolutely sure on it yet. It hasn't got a bearing at the moment for what I'm doing. Flesh and blood does. What I'm doing right now is feeding you flesh. You're going to try and eat what you can. And blood is the very life of God, which is his spirit. We were feeling the blood of Christ flowing in the room this morning around us, right? When the wine, we felt the wine, right? That's the blood of Christ, the very drink of God, where that life is in us. What God wants to do is take us beyond the experience of the moment to understand that it's living in you. It is eternal life. The eternal life. I'll try to move as quick as I can on this, but it's very, very hard to um, get through what I'm saying without it just being things we've heard before. The will of God. Jesus says, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Does that sound like obedience? They were born, the people that were born again, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh or the will of man, but the very will of God. Father, he says in Luke 22, if you're willing, remove the cup from me, yet not my will, your will be done. Matthew 6, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The will of God, the will of God. Again, for us it's a black cloud and it's called control. We don't want to give it up. But I'll ask you this. If you died, how much will does a dead man have? Do you really still think you have free will? Or has somebody told you this Pharisee? Fallacy, I mean. Maybe a Pharisee told you the fallacy. 
because you had a will of God to choose, but then you chose, and you died, and were raised from the dead, and the eternal life of God came into you. The will of God is life. We don't always understand what it means, but it's him leading versus the demonic structures that have been put in our lives, that most of them um, um, appeal to our carnality and our selfishness. Why wouldn't anybody want fullness of joy? Please tell me. Why wouldn't anybody want um, the, the experience of that violent ecstasy of love? Only if they've seen a black cloud wanting to control their will and they tried to hold on to something that they don't realize even the devil has your will. If you've got to give it to somebody. I've heard somebody say once, you know, about the, the whole, like, for instance, the New Age movement or Hinduism is, it's all about emptying yourself of every thought and just becoming aware of yourself, entering the place of what they call nirvana. That's complete emptiness. But the problem is you can't empty yourself. If you empty yourself of one thing, somebody else takes over. Right? It's like cloning. If you clone a body and, it, and, and that person begins to walk around, something's walking around in that flesh. Because you're not just a body. You look in the mirror. You are a spirit that's within the body. Something's going to indwell the body. I think it's kind of tricky that they're all into cloning right now. It's like they're building earth suits for demons. It's like, hello, boys. This probably is not a good idea. The will of God. The will of God. Jesus learned obedience through his sufferings that brought him into, as the Son of Man into the fullness of this thing. And then it says his will was God's will. In other words, he was moving. Again, forget about it from the standpoint of losing. You, if you hear me from a place of loss, instead of moving from a horse and buggy to a jet, then you're still perceiving through the old structure, the enemy structured in you. I'm talking about freedom here. Jesus said the truth is to bring you into all freedom. Again, you've got to decide, is God lying to you or does he happen to know something you don't in the structure you live in? Listen to the, and we're getting there now. Listen to Paul. <clears throat> in Romans 1, he says, I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Do you know what a, a bondservant is? He's speaking in earthly terms for you here so that you might understand something. It's a slave. Titus 1.1, 1, 1, Paul a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth. He said, I've had revelation. I know truth, which is according to godliness. Godliness is a state of being, again, it's like moving into a new house. 
right? Not about being good enough until we can call you godly. Cleanliness is next to godliness. You know what I mean? All this stuff. He's talking about helping us get out of the horse and buggy and go up the ramp into the jet. Yes. Cause us? Yes. That would be the sufferings. They're like what's pushing us through the eye of the needle. But wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to? If we began to see, wait a minute, God's good. Well, if God is good, and he was, all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purposes, and that, you know, if God is for me, who can be against me? That even when it's really difficult, he even provides a way of escape for me because he knows I can't take it then I have to decide the jet's a good idea. Even while the devil's telling me, don't go on the jet, man, don't crash. Don't go on the jet. We'll go on the horse and buggy. We'll get there. Right? So you can't perceive this as control. You can't perceive this as losing. You have to understand this is cutting away and setting free. Moving from one place of understanding where milk and the foundation is everything to the place of freedom. Oh, where is that? I feel like I skipped that one. We think just for one second there's something important there. Um, what was that, Lord? Is that that's so good all right I think I did say it to you ah thank you Lord Hebrews 6, I'm going to quote this one again, verse 1. Leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ. Paul, what the heck are you talking about, man? Let us press on, where? Maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Now, does that not sound particularly weird to you? He says, let's move beyond talking about repentance and faith of God. Let's move beyond the cross, the elementary things he's saying, and let's grow up now. That's what he's saying. And that you go like, huh? We do this every Sunday, don't we? We make, try to make everybody feel better. Try to help them accept the fact that God actually likes them. He's saying at some point, let's stop the elementary things now. It's time to grow up. Let's quit drinking milk, building the foundation. Guess what? The foundation's in. It's been in forever. Let's tear the form out. It's time to tear the form out and let the electricians and the plumbers come and let them do their job. Right? It's time to move on is what he's saying. 
And then he goes, and I'm not moving on. There's a place for that, but there's also a place. Is there a place to drink milk? Yes, when you're a baby. But there is a place where we move on, where we need to eat something else that will sustain us. So he's saying in God, I'm telling you something, man. He's saying, we're going to have to understand the milk and the foundation of the word and then get that settled in your heart and then we're going to move on and build on the foundation. The foundation's great, but wait till you see the house. You can't just sit on the foundation, man. I came to build a house. It says, those that um, labor building the kingdom, men, labor in vain. They work all day on a foundation that he built. Building a foundation. It's like they're slamming forms up against forms. Paul says, it's time. It's time. And then he goes back to the, he says, the instruction of washing and laying on of hands. The resurrection from the dead and eternal judgment. These are all good things. But he calls this elementary, Watson. Then he goes, and this will do if God permits. God has restrained me, Paul said, because it's time to cause you to mature so that we will bear fruit for the kingdom of God. It's time for you to know and experience the eternal life that's inside of you, to know what it is to be in Christ. If I must, he says, I will return and we'll work on the foundation for you. I'll return and teach you and let the light of the cross penetrate your being. You know what it's like? It's like everybody has the house with the cross in it, with Christ on the cross. It says, we're going to live at the bottom of the, of the death the rest of our life. And Jesus is saying, you know what, that was really good but we need to move to the resurrection now, please, please. There's a place for this stuff. So if Paul says that, we begin to understand that there's something for us here. So this whole thing of being a bondservant is being a slave of love. I can choose to be a slave to Lucifer and he can tell me all day that I'm free. You have free will, man. You have a choice. Yes. Come. Let's stay in sin. Or we can become a bond slave to love. And we can know what it really means to be in Christ. Let me give you an example of a guy. Reese Howell. These guys came up to Reese and they said to him, Reese is moving in signs and wonders. He is one of the births of the revival in Wales. They say this, if some of us come after the meeting, will you tell us about your position in Christ? At once the Holy Spirit challenged me, how can you do that, man? You have seen the position of the overcomers? but you've not entered it. One thing to see the raspberries, it's another thing to eat them. 
You've seen he's telling him. And I would say at this point, he probably figures, I've arrived, man. I mean, really, signs and wonders are happening from this guy. He has revival meetings. Wales is on fire in the glory. And so, of course, guys are going to come up to him and go, I want that, man, I want that, right? So they're going to be going, hey, can you tell us about your position? So he's all ready to do it. Yeah, come on over to my house later, man. We'll break bread. I'll give you some understanding on this stuff. So the Holy Spirit checks him (coughs) right away and says, well, you've seen it, but you've not entered it. So then he says, And notice what he called them, the Holy Spirit called them overcomers. You want to overcome cancer? You want to overcome sin, sickness, poverty? Those are the overcomers. How did they do that? How did they do that? They got in the jet. I've been dealing with you, the Holy Spirit says. And again, this is his walk, not yours. But you need to glean the truth from it for all of us. We need to glean it. He says, I've been dealing with you for five days. You must give me your decision by six o'clock tonight. And remember, your will goes. On no account will, you, will I allow you to bring it in a cross current. Where I send you, you will go. What I say to you, you will do. It was the final battle on the will. I asked him for more time, Reese continued. But he said, you will not have a minute after six o'clock, he said. When I heard that, it was exactly as if a wild beast was roused in me. You gave me a free will, I answered, and now you force me to give it up? I do not force you, he replied. But for three years, you have not been saying that you are not your own. You've been saying you're not your own. And that you wanted to give your life back to the Savior as completely as he gave his for you. I climbed down in a second. The way I'd said it was an insult to the Trinity. I am sorry, I told him. I didn't mean what I said. You are not forced to give up your will, he said again. But at six o'clock, I will take your decision. After that, you will never get another chance. It was my last offer, my last chance. I saw that the throne and all my future for eternity going. I said, please give me. I want to do it. Please forgive me. Once more, the question came, are you willing? It was ten minutes to six. I wanted to do it. But I couldn't. Your mind is keen when you are tested, and in a flash it came to me. How can self be willing to give up self? Five to six came. I was afraid of those last five minutes. I could count the ticks of the clock. Then the Spirit spoke again. If you can't be willing, would you like me to help you? And here's the key. Are you willing to be made willing? Take care, the enemy whispered, when a stronger person than yourself is on the other side, to be willing, to be made willing, is just the same as being willing. As I was thinking upon that, 
point, I looked at the clock. It was one minute to six. I bowed my head and said, Lord, I'm willing. Within an hour, the third person of the Godhead had come in. He gave him that, he gave him that word in Hebrews 10:19. Having therefore boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, immediately, said Reese, I was transported into another realm within that sacred veil where the Father and the Savior and the Holy Ghost live. There I heard God speaking to me, and I have lived there ever since. Can you imagine? He lived there ever since. That's what the Lord is calling us to. That is what he's offering us. When the Holy Ghost enters, he said, he comes in to abide forever. To the blood be the glory. How I adored the grace of God. It is God who goes so far as to give us repentance. It was God who helped me to give up my will. There were some things he had asked for me during the week that I was able to give because I was the master of them. When he asked me to give up myself and my will, I found I could not, (coughs) excuse me, until he pulled me through. This is an amazing story of an experience Reese Howell went through. And it's in Reese Howell, the Intercessor by Norman Grubb. Can you imagine for a moment where he was but he came to this place where he said he was willing to be made willing you see self can't give up self but we have to understand what's going on the law came as wedding vows they we took them but marriage is the joining of two and the working out of what that looks like as the marriage matures in love god has called us to this place of maturity, and of love. Romans 6.22, New American Standard says, But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification, the outcome, eternal life. Remember, sanctification means set aside. We see there's two kingdoms, two completely different kingdoms with different realities. Christ is the door into our Father's house, and grace will take you as you are ready, and he will invite you from glory to glory, from room to room, from out in the field to inside at our Father's side. This is where we're being called. We're being called in to dwell by the Father, called up, come up here into that place with the Father. But we're given a choice. When Christ sets us free, what will we do with it? We'll keep it, and we're still saved. Or where will, we, will we trade it for a high calling in Christ? We can trade it and become what Paul talked about, a bondservant to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a bondservant to love. It's not hard to give yourself to love. Something will master you. If you think you're free, you are being mastered. You're being mastered by the enemy, by darkness, by the carnality of this world. Or we're able to come and give our will, which is really lordship of the Lord, isn't it? Give our will back to Christ. See, the will is... 
part of your soul. It's kind of a delusion to think that we're in control. But there's a laying down. Laid down lovers, Heidi Baker calls it. A bondservant to love. Genesis 3.14 in the Amplified says, And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed above all domestic animals and above every wild and living thing in the field. And upon your belly you shall go, and you shall eat the dust. And what it contains, that's what it means, all the days of your life. You see, the enemy comes and he feeds off the lower nature as we understand the elementary things of this world. To stop empowering him, we need to believe Christ and live out of the truth. This is to live above him, to break out of the matrix into the kingdom of our Father. We are in this world, but not of it. We can rise above the carnal state. The enemy is eating the dust, the carnality. The fleshly, it's his domain. In many ways, if you think about it, he's there helping us because we need to rise above it that he has nothing. He came to Jesus and Jesus says, the prince of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me because the Lord wasn't walking in carnality. He was walking by the Spirit. Phew. First, who? First John 4, 18 and 19, and I'm almost done. There is no fear in love. What that means, dread does not exist. But full-grown, that's complete and perfect, love turns fear outdoors and expels every trace of terror. That's incredible scripture. Listen to that. There's no fear in love, dread doesn't exist there. Full-grown or complete and perfect love turns out fear out the door and expels every trace of terror. For fear brings with it the thought of punishment. And so he who is afraid has not reached the full maturity of love, is not grown into love's complete perfection. We love him because he first loved us. You see, we can only approach the Father in his glory to the degree we fear judgment. If we accept the work of the cross and come into agreement with the blood, then we understand the exchanged life and we can enter into the courts of the Lord as a new creation and enjoy the pleasure of our inheritance in Christ Jesus. Without any judgment, just bliss. Just bliss. Yeah. Woo. Daddy. Daddy, I worship you this morning. You're so good. So good, Father. That, Lord, you want to bring us up the ladder. There is incredible truth in light. The truth will make us free. Experiential knowledge, not informational knowledge. All truth, Lord, is an invitation to a personal encounter. And you've called us. 
Oh, God. We love you. Thank you for the light that's being poured out in these days. From glory to glory, God. That we might become mature sons of God, bond servants to the living God, the high calling in Christ our Lord. Just let your word, Father, settle into our hearts. Let it become, woo, let it become the seed of growth growing up that they might enter into the experience of this revelation. Deeper and deeper, higher and higher into your incredible love. We bless you this morning. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Amen.